0: Chapter 7, The Alternative's Flow. When you go with the flow, the world meets you halfway. The Information Field. The alternative space is an information field or energy matrix, a template for what things could be like. When a sector of the matrix is lit up by an energy that has the same resonance, that part of the template is transformed into physical reality. The question is whether the information held in the matrix can be used whilst it exists in its intangible form. You could say that we are using this information on an everyday basis. The conscious mind might not be able to read the information held in the alternative space, but the subconscious mind can access it directly. This is where premonitions, intuitions, prophecies, inventions, and works of art originate. The conscious mind sources information both by interpreting data from the external world and by receiving it from the subconscious via intuition. Put bluntly, the data recorded in the information field represents truth in its purest form. It represents objective information undistorted by interpretation. When truth passes through the filter of the mind, it becomes an interpretation, i.e. knowledge. All living beings have their own way of interpreting the truth. A chicken, for example, sees and understands the world very differently to a human. Even different people will see and understand the same things in different ways. As a result, knowledge is a more or less distorted representation of the truth. The data contained in the information field exists in the form of a complex energetic structure. The field is a record of everything that causes matter to move in accordance with the laws of nature. Initially, data from the information field is received by the subconscious, the soul, and then the conscious mind, or reason, translates it into word and symbol. This is how any innovation is brought to life, be it a new genre of music, a work of art, or anything that a person could not have seen or understood directly. Intuitive knowledge and premonitions are received in the same way. This explanation might be a little perturbing or hard to accept, Can it really be, you ask, that the mind is incapable of creating anything new independently and is actually drawing on data from an external source or information field? Perhaps it is too categorical to say that the mind can never create anything new. The mind can build a new object or solve a problem using knowledge of objects and logical constructions that it is already familiar with. In other words, the rational mind can build a new house but only from old bricks. It can construct something using ideas that have been made accessible to the conscious mind previously, but it cannot directly access information that is fundamentally new. Scientific discoveries are not made as a result of logical reasoning, so much as from an aha moment of insight when knowledge seems to come from nowhere. The same goes for genius inventions. Good music just comes to the musician. It is not created via the intelligent choice of notes. Works of art are created as a result of inspiration, not professional and technical skill. A picture that from a technical point of view has been executed perfectly will not necessarily be proclaimed a work of art. The special quality that makes something a work of art lies beyond the realms of technical execution. Poetry has the ability to touch your heart. It's not written by the process of choosing rhythms, but comes from the depths of the poet's soul. Creativity based on inspiration and insight is totally different to something produced by the rational mind. It is only later that a product of true creativity becomes an attribute of the mind. The mind may be capable of making a perfect copy of an old work of art, but it is incapable of creating a new one. The mind analyzes data received from the informational field by the subconscious and endows it with symbolic form producing a painting, a melody, a poem, a mathematical formula, etc. We do not yet know how the subconscious accesses the information field, but we can witness the access. Clairvoyants, for example, are capable of perceiving events that have taken place in the past, have not yet taken place, or are happening somewhere beyond our field of vision. As we cannot yet explain the mechanism for such things, we refer to them as paranormal phenomena. Not wishing to reveal their impotence, the pendulums of fundamental science refuse to take such phenomena seriously. However, the fact that we cannot explain them does not stop them from being real or justify the tendency to dismiss them out of hand. There are people who are capable of seeing events in the information field as clearly as if they were witnessing them in the material world. People like this are capable of attuning to manifest sectors in the alternative space. A clairvoyant, for example, can attune to the sector of a missing person by looking at a photograph of that person or touching an item of their belongings. The police have even been known to make use of the services of clairvoyants in their investigations. Not all clairvoyants can see perfectly and so mistakes are made. Mistakes can be made for two reasons. Firstly, the clairvoyant may attune to a sector that has never been realized in the material plane and never will be. Confusion can also be caused by the fact that separate sectors differ in script and scenery to a lesser or greater degree depending on their relative distance from one another. This can affect how information is interpreted. For example, ancient prophesiers and prophets who observed unusual scenes from the future interpreted them according to the knowledge available to them at the time, causing their predictions to be inaccurate. Whether you believe in these things or not is a very personal thing. Remember, Transurfing is just a model that allows us to apply the laws of the universe to serve our own interests. It does not claim to provide a comprehensive description of the structure of the universe. Neither is Transurfing a monument in granite bearing the inscription, Here lies the secret. Truth, as you know, is only ever somewhere close by. The idea that man is capable of synthesizing anything new using the rational mind alone is simply the product of a certain attitude. It is just that society has been relying on the model that generated that attitude for a long time now. It should be pointed out, however, that the conventional worldview is as impossible to prove as the transurfing model. Whether things actually happen according to one system or another does not concern us here too much. The fact remains that information originating in the alternative space is somehow available to us in the form of hunches, visions, insights, and signs, and as far as we are able, we must attempt to understand their meanings. Knowledge out of nowhere. Only a few very unique individuals are capable of reading data held in the information field. The majority of us receive reverberations of data in the form of momentary premonitions and vaguely perceived knowledge. People involved in the worlds of science and creativity often receive insights after many long days or years of contemplation. It can take such a long time to unveil something entirely new because thought energy, however deeply a person concentrates, can be more easily attuned to sectors of the alternative space that have already been transformed into physical reality. Anything fundamentally new originates in sectors of the alternative space that have not yet been transformed into physical reality. Unfortunately, we do not yet fully understand how to attune our thoughts to these sectors. When the subconscious is somehow able to access information held in an unrealized sector of the field, the conscious mind can be confused, finding it vague and obscure. This is because the data has not before been interpreted using symbols that are familiar to the rational mind. If, however, the brain manages to reach deeply into the essence of the information newly available, insight and clarity Is achieved. There is much that is unclear and contradictory about the mechanisms of the conscious and subconscious mind. Rather than delve deeply into all these issues here, we will just look at a couple of themes related to how they function. Also, to avoid getting mixed up in semantics and terminology, for simplicity's sake we will define everything connected with the conscious mind as reason and with the subconscious as the heart or soul. If the mind was capable of understanding everything the heart wished to share with it, humanity would have already gained full access to the information field. One can only imagine the heights human civilization would have reached as a result. The mind, however, is not very good at listening to the heart and does not want to. Its attention is either taken up with things relating to the outside world or with its own inner bag of contemplation and anxiety. The mind is busy controlling its unceasing internal monologue and is by comparison highly inattentive to the faint signals of the heart. The mind authoritatively insists on doing things its own way. When reason, quote, thinks, unquote, it draws on categories which it uses to mark the qualities of visible objects in materialized sectors of the information field. In other words, it thinks with the help of established designations, symbols, words, Concepts, diagrams, rules, etc. The mind unscrambles all the information it receives using appropriate designations. Designations are attributed to everything that exists in the world around us. The sky is blue, water is wet, birds fly, tigers are dangerous, winter is cold, etc. If the information received from a non materialized sector has not yet been attributed rational designation, the mind perceives it as unfathomable knowledge. If new designations can be introduced, or if it can be explained within the context of conventional references, then a discovery is made. It is always extremely difficult to find designations for new knowledge. It is like when a person hears music for the first time, a type of information expressed in the form of sound. When a person hears the music, their mind receives the information it carries. The mind knows it is hearing something, but does not yet understand what it is hearing because it has nothing to make reference to. Understanding comes later, when the person has heard music many times, and all the relevant designations and objects have been demonstrated—musicians, instruments, notes, and songs. When music is heard for the first time, it is perceived simultaneously as knowledge and a mystery. Try explaining to a small child that milk is white. Young children are only just learning to use abstract categories, and so they ask a lot of questions. A child may know what milk is but not understand what white means and so the child asks, what is white? White is a color. What is a color? It's a quality objects have. What's quality? What's object? And so it goes on. Rather than trying to explain it, it is easier to show the child objects of different colors. Then the child's mind begins to recognize how to differentiate objects using the abstract notion of color. This is how a child learns to define everything in the world around it, and then think using these definitions. The heart, unlike the mind, does not use designations. How could the heart explain to a child that milk is white? Ever since the mind began thinking in terms of abstract categories, the connection between the heart and mind gradually atrophied. The heart does not work in terms of categories. It does not think or speak. It feels and knows. Because the heart is not able to express what it knows in words and symbols, the mind finds it difficult to understand. How then can the heart communicate with the mind if it has discovered something in the alternative space that does not yet exist in the material world? The mind is always busy with its own chatter. It has a logical explanation for everything and is constantly trying to control information. It picks up on vague signals from the heart which it is not always capable of defining with the help of these categories. The vague feelings and knowledge signaled by the heart are drowned out by the vociferous thoughts of the mind. When control over the mind is released, however, intuitive feelings and knowledge can break through to consciousness. The signals of the heart are conveyed in an ambiguous premonition, which we'll call the inner voice. In moments when the mind is distracted, it allows you to experience the feelings and knowledge of the heart. This is the rustle of the morning stars. The voice without words reflection without thought, and sound without volume. When you hear this music, you know that you have understood something, but it still has an elusive quality. Do not think so much. Feel and listen to your intuition. Everyone knows what intuition is. Everyone has sometime had the feeling that someone is about to arrive just before a visitor appears at the door, has had the feeling that something is going to happen, and then it does or has had the feeling that they simply know something that requires no explanation. The mind is constantly generating thoughts, and the voice of the heart is literally drowned out by the thought churn, making it difficult to access intuitive knowledge. If you stop the train of thoughts and simply contemplate the emptiness, you will hear the rustle of the morning stars, the inner voice that has no words. The heart could provide answers to many of our questions if we could only ever hear its voice. It is quite difficult to deliberately attune to unrealized sectors of the information field and to force your mind to listen to what the heart is trying to convey. So we will begin slowly. The heart has two quite clearly discernible states, comfort and discomfort. The mind has designations for these states. I feel good and I do not feel good and I feel confident and I am anxious and I like it or I do not like it. At every step we take in life, we have to decide whether to do one thing or another. The thing we call life emerges when parts of the alternative space are transformed into physical reality. Depending on our thoughts and actions, one sector or another is realized on the material level. The heart has access to the information field, and somehow the heart is given to see what lies ahead in as yet unrealized but impending sectors. When the soul has set its sights on a sector that has not yet been realized in the physical, it knows what to expect and whether it will be a pleasant or an unpleasant experience. The mind interprets these feelings as vague sensations of inner peace or the lack of it. The soul often knows what lies ahead and tries patiently to communicate what it knows to the mind, but the mind hardly hears the voice or attributes very little meaning to the vague premonition. The mind is hooked by pendulums preoccupied solving problems, and convinced by the reasonableness of its own actions. The mind makes resolute decisions guided by logical reasoning and common sense. As we know, though, sensible reasoning is no guarantee of an ideal solution. Unlike the mind, the heart is rarely mistaken because it does not think, it feels, and knows. How often do we hear people claim post-factum, I knew nothing good would come of it. The task is to learn to interpret what the heart is trying to communicate to the mind at the time a decision is being made. It is not difficult. All you have to do is instruct your inner guardian to pay attention to your inner state before making a final decision. Your mind is usually trapped by pendulums or absorbed with the job of solving various problems. To hear the rustle of the morning stars, it is enough to simply remember to note your inner condition. It sounds quite banal and commonplace, but it works. The only problem is in paying attention to your feelings and sensations. People tend to be more inclined to trust arguments based on reason than their own feelings, and so have forgotten how to pay attention to their own inner condition and the feeling of integrity that inner peace gives. In the moment of considering a possible solution to a problem, the mind is guided by sensible reasoning, not by feelings. In fact, in the moment of decision-making, the mind is unlikely to even notice that there are such things as feelings. If, however, you have been able to remember, then take the next step and note what you are feeling. There might be something about a situation that puts you on your guard or worries you. There might be something you do not like about a situation. Once you have made a decision to ask the mind to be quiet for a moment and ask yourself how you feel about it, good or bad. Then imagine having made a different decision and ask yourself the question again. How does this make me feel, good or bad? If you cannot pick up on a clear feeling when you do this, it suggests that your mind is still not very good at listening. Instruct your inner guardian to alert you to your inner state more often. On the other hand, it may be that the question itself is ambiguous, in which case it is better not to make a decision based on vague information. In this case, you can rely on the judgment of your mind or simplify the question. If you get a clear sense of, yes, I feel good about this, or no, I do not feel good about this, then you have clearly heard the rustle of the morning stars. Now you know the answer to your question. It does not mean that you will necessarily act according to the dictates of the heart, for we are not always free to act as we would wish to. But at least you will know what to expect from a sector which has not yet been transformed into physical reality. The needy, the indignant, and the fighter. In any situation, a person can respond with two extremes of behavior— one extreme is to be swept along by the current like a powerless paper boat, and the other is to row stubbornly against the tide. If a person is lazy, incapable of taking the initiative, has no goals and is happy to simply exist, then they can be controlled by other forces. It is very easy for this kind of person to become a pendulum's puppet. People like this effectively decline from choosing their own fate, or choose to believe that their fate is predestined or predoomed. Through their choice, they affirm the statement that there is no flying from fate. What will be, will be. And they will be proved right because this life path also exists as a potential reality in the alternative space. Having made this decision, all a person can do is complain about their fate and in their impotence, hope for the mercy of higher powers. When a person gives up responsibility for their fate, they take one of two paths in life. On one path, they accept their circumstances and beg for handouts cup in hand, appealing either to the pendulum or to some higher power. A pendulum will force the needy to work hard, and the person will break their back, earning a very humble living. They may naively call on higher powers for help, but generally speaking, higher powers have more important things to do. The needy abdicate responsibility for their own fate in the manner of, it's all in God's hands. Perhaps they believe that all you have to do is ask nicely, and as God is merciful, He will give you what you need. Imagine the prayer. Mountains and valleys, rivers and oceans, O sky, O earth, I bow before your power. My heart is filled with faith and reverence. I believe that you will help me buy my morning newspaper. Perhaps this is too exaggerated an example, and yet why not? After all, it makes no difference, surely, to the higher powers whether you are asking for a newspaper or a palace, for they can do anything. If the needy for some reason ended up without a morning paper, they would surely conclude that they just did not ask properly. So, carry on asking. There is a Russian joke that goes, A man is lying on his sofa, praying, God, he says, make me rich. I know you can. I totally believe in your greatness. Annoyed, the Lord tells him, Listen, mate, you could at least buy a lottery ticket. It is a convenient position to abdicate all responsibility for your life at the same time as wallowing in your own self-importance. For it is self-important to imagine yourself so significant that God, in all his majesty and mercy, would see to your needs personally. God has already given man the ultimate gift, freedom of choice, and yet some people are too infantile to accept the gift, preferring to remain constantly dissatisfied. People will always find ways of justifying their actions, claiming that their path is too densely strewn with obstacles, and that for them something always goes wrong. That something, of course, is balanced forces and pendulums that arise as a consequence of the excess potential generated by their self-importance. It is like in the children's game that goes, geese, geese, honk, honk, are you hungry? Yes, yes, yes. Well, fly on home then. We can't. We are afraid of the gray wolf that stands at the foot of the mountain. If a person does not fit the role of the needy, they may choose the role of the indignant expressing their dissatisfaction and demanding to be given what they are supposedly due, By being so very demanding, the indignant person harms the potential shape of their destiny even more. Imagine a man who visits an art gallery, but he does not like the exhibition, and so has a tantrum, believing that he has the right to express his dissatisfaction. He stamps his feet, making threats, breaking things, and demanding that the organizers take the exhibition down. Naturally, the man would be punished for his actions, which would make him even more resentful and all the more inclined to express his indignation. A person who believes that their own wants and needs should be a priority for others would never dream that they are merely a guest in this world. From the point of view of Transurfing, both roles appear equally absurd. Transurfing offers a different path. If you want something, don't plead for it. Don't demand it. Just go ahead and get it. There is nothing new in this position. It is the natural stance of a person who makes their own choices and believes that their destiny is in their own hands. However, people tend to take this too far in their struggle for a place in the sun. Taking a hard stand, people declare war on pendulums, get drawn into competition, and elbow their way forward. Their entire life becomes a continuous struggle for survival. This is their choice, and the choice will be played out because it also exists as a possible reality in the alternative space. We already know that passive acceptance and overt dissatisfaction cause a person to become dependent on pendulums. Perhaps you recall the content on the chapter of importance and excess potential. The needy create excess potential via their feelings of guilt, voluntarily offering themselves into the hands of manipulators. The victim automatically assumes that they are condemned to have to ask for what they want and waits until someone decides to give it to them. The indignant person creates excess potential with their continuous expression of dissatisfaction and ruins their own life by endlessly invoking balanced forces. Having chosen to battle, the fighter takes a more productive stance, but their life is hard and demands a huge amount of energy. No matter how hard a person tries to resist, if they take this position, life will just get harder and harder and they will be more and more entangled in the web. The fighter believes that they are battling for the sake of their own destiny, while in fact they are simply wasting huge amounts of personal energy. Sometimes a person wins, but at what cost? Their example goes to convince everyone that the laurels of victory can only be hard won. With that, the widespread belief that if you want to achieve something, you have to slog away and fight for it is further consolidated. Public opinion is mainly shaped by pendulums. The excess potential of self-importance serves as a feeding trough for pendulums, and so beliefs based on some aspect of self-importance are widely supported. The belief that a personal goal is difficult to attain represents a projection of outer importance, whereas the belief that the goal can only be achieved by a personality with extraordinary qualities is a projector of inner importance. Either way, the individual is fleeced. They may be allowed to reach the finish line, which will no doubt make them very happy, but what the person will not realize is how much energy was wasted, Not so much on reaching the goal as on indulging the exactions of the pendulum. Metaphorically speaking, it is like a person trying to make their way through a crowd of pleading beggars in order to reach their goal. The beggars bustle about, block the way, and grasp at the person's clothes and body. The person tries to justify themselves, apologizes, gives the beggars money, pushes them aside, and forces their way through the crowd. Finally, and not without great difficulty, the goal is reached. The energy that was spent on actually achieving the goal is comparatively small, enough to place one foot in front of the other. The remaining portion of energy went on battling with the needy. When a person learns to break the loop with the pendulum, they will have their freedom. The scroungers will leave them in peace and focus on some other individual. To free yourself from the burden of pendulums, you have to abandon inner and outer importance. If you manage to do this, the obstacles you would have encountered on the way towards realizing your personal goals will simply fade away. Then you will be in a position not to ask for what you want, not to demand it, and not to struggle for it, but simply to go ahead and get it. Now the question arises as to how the phrase, go ahead and get it, should be understood specifically and how to go about it. The rest of this book is devoted to answering this question, so soon you will have the answer. So far, we have outlined general strategies for choosing one's personal destiny. None of the roles described above, the needy, the indignant, or the fighter, are for us. What role do you think Transurfing would ascribe to the master of their own fate in the game called life? That is the homework. The answer can be found in the next chapter. Now we are going to look at different tactical ways of behaving in various situations. Going with the flow The needy and the indignant go weakly with the flow of life, while the fighter pushes against the flow. Of course, in life, no one person is a pure example of either role. We all adopt one or more of these roles to a greater or lesser extent as life changes, and yet none of them are particularly effective. If it is not advisable to fight, and going with the flow is too limp, what other options are there? Earlier, we described how reason authoritatively asserts its will based on common sense. Some people rationalize in a very reasonable, intelligent manner and are yet totally incapable of solving their own problems. How useful can common sense be if the mind cannot use it to provide an ideal solution to a problem? The thing is that even though the mind is being rational, it remains unaware of the fact that it is influenced by the thought patterns created by pendulums. Certainly, while a person is playing the role of the needy, the indignant, or the fighter, there can be no question of freedom of movement. In reality, the fighter has no more freedom to assert their true will than the little paper boat. Metaphorically speaking, this is how the fighter moves with the flow of life. Pendulums provoke the fighter, who then swims against the current, not understanding that it would be easier and more advantageous to use the flow. The fighter's mind is gripped by pendulums, but the fighter is resolutely set on battle, and by making resolute decisions, whips the water with all his might in places where calm, smooth movements would have sufficed. Now imagine a person who neither goes against the flow causing additional eddies in the water, nor lets the current carry them utterly like a little paper boat. They would be intentionally moving in harmony with the flow, noting the sandbanks, obstacles, and dangerous areas along the way, making smooth movements to keep to their chosen course. This is the person at the helm. How useful is it to think of life in terms of flow, And why is it so injurious to swim passively or to try to resist the flow? The information that lies in the alternative space is stationary, like a matrix. At the same time, the information structure is organized into chains of cause and effect, which give birth to the flow of the alternatives. This is what we mean when we talk about flow in the context of transurfing. The main reason to avoid actively resisting the flow is that in doing so, you expend a huge amount of energy either in vain or to your own detriment. Neither can you rely entirely on the alternative's flow, for it could carry you into a calm lagoon as easy as to the edge of a waterfall. One should, therefore, proceed with a sense of caution, correcting one's movements with smooth actions. A person should also be aware of the general direction of the flow, which is determined by their chosen goal and the means of achieving it. Once the general course has been determined, one should rely on the flow as far as possible. Everyone has a rough sense of the general flow of events in their life. Most people first study, then get a job, have a family, work their way up the employment ladder, build a house, and so on. Many people make a lot of mistakes along the way, in retrospect wishing they had done things differently. But it is too late to change anything. What is done is done. The flow takes them in a direction far away from their goal and the rational mind is powerless to do anything about it. All they can do is regret, knowing that if only they had known where they would fall, they would have put something there to soften the landing. Everyone wants to know what awaits them just around the corner. Not everyone is serious about turning to fortune tellers and astrologers for advice, but many are interested in them, at least out of curiosity. The advantage of a reading is that an optimistic astrological forecast or prediction can light a spark of hope whereas an unpleasant prediction can be trivialized as meaningless and later forgotten. Despite the fact that astrological calculations and clairvoyance cannot guarantee 100% accuracy, the trans-surfing model does not negate their value because prediction and sight are sourced in the alternative space. In any case, if the accuracy rate was too low, no one would take these predictions seriously. Astrology does not only exist because people are curious to take a peep into the future. The Alternatives Flow also allows us to take a glance at other sectors of the field that exist in physical reality. How much one chooses to rely on forecasts and astrological predictions is also a very personal thing, so we will respectfully place this subject to one side and consider that we can usefully conclude from the simple knowledge that the Alternatives Flow exists. The main questions that arise are to what extent we can surrender ourselves to the flow how to determine whether we are going in the right direction, and why we should surrender ourselves to it at all. As we mentioned previously, the mind is constantly under pressure from projected levels of importance and so hindered from making truly efficient decisions. Inner and outer importance is, essentially, the main source of the problem causing balanced forces to manifest in the form of rapids and whirlpools along a person's path. If you reduce the intensity of projected importance, the flow will return to a calmer current. The question of whether one should surrender oneself to the flow is also important. Outer importance encourages the mind to look for complicated solutions to simple problems. Inner importance convinces the mind that its reasoning is sound and capable of making the only right decision. If we reduce the intensity of projected importance, the mind can breathe freely. Because it has been released from the influence of pendulums and the pressure of artificially created problems, it can make more objective, appropriate decisions. The beauty of this lies in the fact that once the mind is free of the burden of importance, it has no great need for a powerful intellect. Of course, to solve everyday problems, you need logical thinking, knowledge, and analytical skill, but this requires much less energy. The flow of alternatives is a luxurious gift which paradoxically, the mind hardly ever uses. The alternatives flow contains the solutions to all our problems. The majority of problems are in fact artificially created by the mind. Pendulums prod the anxious mind which sets about solving all sorts of problems just to try and keep the situation under control. Its willful decisions are for the most part pointless, like randomly slapping your hands on the surface of the water. The majority of problems, particularly minor problems, resolve themselves if the alternative's flow is allowed to take its course. There is no essential need for a powerful intellect if the solution to a problem already exists in the alternative's space. The optimum solution will appear of its own accord, as long as we do not go rooting around in the debris interfering with the alternative's flow. Optimality is a principle that is inherent in the structure of the information field. Chains of causes and effects create separate streams in the flow of alternatives. These streams represent the best possible ways in which cause and effect can move. Everything exists in the alternative space, but it is the optimal or most energy efficient alternative that is more likely to be realized. Nature never wastes energy, which is why people walk with their feet and not their ears. All processes strive to move along paths which are most energy efficient, So the alternative streams are organized along the path of least resistance. This is where the optimal solution to any problem lies. The mind is constantly losing a sense of the flow because it is influenced by pendulums and acts in their interests. In other words, the mind gets caught up in a maze looking for complicated solutions to simple problems. All these abstract notions may appear overly conjectural. However, You can try out some of the ideas in this book in practice and then decide whether you think the flow exists or not. The Alternatives Flow is a truly sumptuous gift for the mind. The keys to any problem are encoded within it. To access them, you have to learn to move in the direction of least resistance. As a rule, people look for complicated solutions because they perceive the problem as an obstacle, and as we know, obstacles can only be overcome by applying much effort it helps to get into the habit of choosing the simplest possible solution to any given problem. We all have to learn something new at some point, or think about how we can do familiar tasks in a more effective way. One approach to doing things in the most efficient manner is so simple, it is hard to believe how it actually works. And according with the principle of harmonious movement, everything should be done by the easiest and simplest means possible. The most optimal alternatives to any action are organized in streams which are like chains comprised of links which represent optimal cause and effect. Deciding to take the next step in a given action is like choosing the next link in the chain. It is a matter of deciding which link is part of the stream. What normally happens, though, is that a person makes a logical decision based on what they think would be most correct, based on their day-to-day experience of life. The mind makes willful decisions believing that it is capable of calculating and explaining anything, but this is not true. You probably can recall many occasions when you have suddenly seen how things could have been done differently and yet it was too late. It is not that the mind is scattered or lacking in sharpness so much as that the chain in the stream does not always correspond to logical construction. However meticulous you are, you will rarely choose an optimal action relying solely on logic. Generally speaking, the mind is always under some kind of pressure, be it stress, anxiety, depression, or heightened activity. In other words, the mind is constantly distracted by pendulums, which makes it a little bit pushy or prepared to launch an attack on the outside world. In order to choose the next chain in the stream, all you have to do is free yourself from the puppet strings and have enough compliance to follow the flow. This means adopting a condition of balance and having enough mindfulness not to project inflated importance. Once you feel that you are in a condition of balance and harmony with the world, just follow the flow. You will notice a multitude of signs that will guide you. Let go of the situation. Be the objective observer rather than the participant. Perform your actions simply, adopting neither the position of slave nor master. Instruct your inner guardian to nudge you every time your mind tries to make a sensible but nonetheless willful decision. Detach yourself emotionally as if you were simply an administrator and observe your work from the outside. Everything can be done a lot more simply than you think. Yield to the simplicity. It is the mind, not the alternatives flow, that carries you to the edge of the waterfall. Imagine that there is something you need to buy, but you do not know where to find a shop that sells it. You rely on your mind, which suggests the most sensible and the most complicated way of finding the shop you need. You drive around half the town looking for the right shop, only to find one right next door to your house. If you had attributed less importance to the search, the mind would not have been set on finding such a difficult solution. Here is another example. You have a list of things to do and you are wondering which task to start with and which to put off until later. Do not think about it. If there is no particular need for the task to be done in a specific sequence, do the task that you feel most inclined to start with. Go with the flow. Separate your mind from the influence of the pendulums. It is about learning that smooth, light, simple movements are enough to navigate the water. You do not have to be an impotent paper boat or splash your hands wildly about in the water. I will not go on with a long list of examples. If you spend even just one day truly going with the flow, You will discover for yourself just how helpful and surprising living your life in this way can be. Every time you have come up with a solution to a problem, ask yourself which approach would be the easiest and go with that. Every time something or someone comes in to distract you, do not hurry to resist it or skirt around it. Try detaching yourself from the situation and then observing what happens next. Every time you face a new task, ask yourself, how can I do this as simply as possible? Then allow whatever it is to get done with as much ease as possible. Every time someone suggests something different or tries to prove their own point of view, try not to jump in and argue back. Maybe the rational mind just cannot understand the advantage or see the alternative. Activate your inner guardian. First observe and only then take action. Come down into the auditorium. Do not hurry to take control. Let the game develop as far as possible of its own accord under your supervision. There is no need to madly splash your hands about in the water. Try not to get in the way of the flow of life and you will feel much better for it. Guiding Signs How can we distinguish between an approaching sandbank or waterfall and a normal turn in current? There are always tangible signs that will help us navigate ourselves through life. Life is constantly sending us signs. The most common, well-known sign is an omen. There are good and bad omens. Seeing a rainbow is a good omen. A black cat crossing the road is an omen of misfortune. Widely acknowledged omens are created as a result of multiple observations and comparisons. If the percentage of correctly predicted omens is high enough, a certain pattern is determined which then becomes public opinion, because people love to talk to one another about strange phenomena. However, omens do not always come true. Far from it, in fact. In Russia, when you forget something and have to go back for it, people worry because they say that returning to a place you have just left is a bad omen. Even if a person is not particularly superstitious, the strong social stereotype throws a shadow across their subconscious. The person begins to fear that something unpleasant will happen and so decides that it is not worth returning to pick up the thing they left behind. Unfortunately, that does not help either because an even flow has already been disturbed and the person is already slightly out of balance. The expectation of misfortune introduces change into the parameters of a person's thought energy, and they shift to a lifeline that corresponds in quality. Not surprisingly, they then end up experiencing whatever it was they were feared. In effect, the person has allowed the possibility of the event to enter their personal script. This explains why an increasing percentage of omens are fulfilled. As you can see, the omen of itself cannot serve as a law or pattern. Why is it that everyone considers a black cat in particular to be a bad omen? Or, put differently, how is it that a black cat can have any kind of influence on our lives? Of course, it is not the cat that has the influence, but a person's response to seeing the cat. If you believe in the omens, they will play a role in shaping the events of your life. If you do not believe in omens, but still experience doubts when you realize you have seen one, the influence will be slight. If, however, you do not believe in omens at all and pay absolutely no attention to them, they will have no influence on your life whatsoever. The principle is very simple. You experience what you allow into your personal life script. A person who believes omens to be empty superstitions will experience no indication of their validity in the layer of their world. Omens may appear real in the layers of other people's worlds because those people look for confirmation of them, whereas the skeptic does not. If omens have no direct influence on the events in our lives, then what do we mean when we talk about guiding signs? The black cat cannot have any direct influence over you, but it can serve as a sign warning you of an event that will take place further down the line in the alternative's flow. It is amazing how many signs you can spot once you decide to be observant of what is happening around you. You can end up seeing them just about everywhere. So which signs should be considered guiding signs? The other issue is how signs should be interpreted, but we will not go into that as it is too comprehensive and vague a topic. All you can reliably do is increase your inner guardian's level of watchfulness and vigilance. Notice the sign and take its presence into account. Guiding signs are signs that indicate a possible turn in the alternative's flow. In other words, a guiding sign serves to herald an event that will substantially change the flow of everyday life. If you are expecting some sort of change in the current, however small, a sign will appear to signal its onset. A characteristic sign may also appear if an unexpected turn is coming up in the near future. When the alternatives flow makes a turn, you shift onto a different lifeline. The lifeline will be more or less homogenous as far as quality of life is concerned. The stream and the alternatives flow can intersect many lifelines that have different parameters. The changes may be relatively insignificant, you will nonetheless experience the difference. The qualitative change is noticed either consciously or subconsciously with the knowing that something is not quite the same as it was a minute ago. Guiding signs only appear when a shift to a different lifeline is initiated. If, for example, you pay no particular attention to a separate event such as a crow squawking, if it does not put you on your guard and you do not feel any qualitative difference in that moment, it suggests that you are on the same lifeline as before. If, however, the phenomenon does attract your attention and you feel that there is something unusual or odd about it, then it is probably a sign. A sign differs from other everyday phenomena in that it signals the beginning of a shift to a lifeline that differs considerably from the current one. Often we find signs like this a little disturbing, especially if they are spotted immediately after a shift to a different lifeline. This is because there is a qualitative difference in the current and former lifeline that we cannot rationally account for. Often, it is hard to put your finger on what exactly has changed. You may just have the feeling that something is not quite right. When a shift has been made, it is sensed intuitively, and sometimes we even notice change in the type of signs we spot. It is as if out of the corner of our eye we see or suspect that something new has appeared in the flow. So signs serve as indicators that a shift has occurred or is in the process of occurring. Some people are unaware of most of what is happening around them, and so are unlikely to notice even the most obvious signs. Generally speaking though, if we fail to notice anything unusual about an event that takes place on our current lifeline, it is probably because it has the same quality as all the other phenomena we experience. The shift to a substantially different lifeline normally occurs gradually, passing through intermediate lifelines along the way. The signs on these lines can appear as warnings with different levels of severity. Sometimes a person ignores their first warning, The shift continues and then a second warning appears, and then a third, and if the person has still taken no heed of the danger, an event finally occurs that is encoded in the final line of the shift. Interpreting signs unambiguously is very difficult to do. Sometimes you cannot even be 100% certain whether the phenomenon that attracted your attention is a sign or not. All you can do is take into account the fact that the world seems to be trying to communicate something to you. We are mostly interested in approaching sandbanks and rapids, so it would be nice to at least get a hint of what lies ahead. In most cases, you can explore the sign by phrasing a question in such a way that it will produce a yes or no answer. For example, will it work out or not? Will I get it done in time or not? Will I be successful in doing something or not? Is it good or bad? Dangerous or not? And so on. The interpretation of a sign should be simplified enough to hint at a positive or negative type of answer there is no point in expecting a high level of precise detail. The sign carries a hint of the quality of the forthcoming turn in the flow. If you associate the sign with an unpleasant sensation, or it fills you with misgiving, unpleasant surprise, or anxiety, it means that the sign signals a negative turn of events. If the sensation is ambiguous, there is no point in trying to interpret the sign, as your evaluation of it will be too subjective to be reliable. A sign may bring you a warning that you need to be more careful, change your behavior in some way, or stop doing something. For this reason, it is important neither to negate a sign nor to let it worry you too much by attributing it too much significance. Signs can take various forms, but in each case, the most useful thing to do is to decide whether their meaning is positive or negative. For example, if you are in a hurry and an old lady with a stick blocks your way, This could be interpreted as meaning that you will be delayed, that the bus that normally crawls along will for some reason fly past today. Perhaps you went too far in a situation and should be more careful, or maybe you are trying to do something that is not going very well, and no matter what you do, obstacles keep getting in the way, bringing things to a grinding halt. Maybe you have chosen a dead-end road and should take a different route. The main benefit of signs is that they have the capacity to wake you up in time, Making you see that you are acting in the interests of the destructive pendulum or to your own detriment. People often make fatal mistakes when they are under the zombifying anesthesia of a pendulum, only later realizing that they were unaware of their actions and had forgotten to be vigilant. It can be useful to interpret even innocent signs as simple warnings. It is always wise to maintain a sense of caution and awareness with regard to what is happening around you. As long as cautiousness does not deteriorate into anxiety and suspicion. You have to be able to take care without worrying. Be detached at the same time as impeccable in everything you do. However strange it may seem, sometimes the clearest and most concise guiding signs are phrases spoken spontaneously as if they were of no importance. When someone is trying to force their opinion on you, it is better to not pay attention but a spontaneous phrase uttered as a casual recommendation or piece of advice might be worth taking seriously. Spontaneous phrases are spoken without the speaker planning what they are going to say beforehand. You can probably recall an occasion where you responded to a comment immediately, without thinking. It is as if the answer already exists somewhere deep in your consciousness, and it just comes out, bypassing the analytical mind. The same thing happens when your mind is dozing or busy with something else, and seemingly random phrases are uttered. When the mind is dozing, the soul speaks, and the soul, after all, has direct contact with the information field. For example, someone just on the off chance says, Don't forget your scarf, you'll catch a cold. If you do not take their advice, the likelihood is that you will regret it later. You might be absorbed in thoughts about some problem, and someone makes a recommendation in passing that at the time does not seem very relevant. Listen to these words and phrases. Do not be too quick to discard them. You may be convinced that you are right about something and then someone opens your eyes to see things differently without even intending to do so. Try not to be too stubborn to reconsider your point of view and ask yourself whether you were not in fact just randomly splashing your hands about in the water. Feelings of inner discomfort are also a very clear sign. Although as a rule, we do not pay these feelings due attention. If you have to make a decision, No one better than your own soul knows what that decision should be. It is often very difficult to understand what exactly the soul is trying to tell you, but the principle is the same as with all other signs. You can quite unambiguously determine whether the decision is to the soul's liking or not. When you have to make a decision, stop and listen to the rustle of the morning stars. If in your mind you have already made the decision and remembered about the rustle too late, try to recall what type of feelings you were experiencing when you were making the decision. These feelings can be characterized either as, I feel good about it or I don't feel good about it. If you made the decision reluctantly and it left you feeling cold, then this feeling would clearly fit into the I don't feel good category. If it is not too late to change your mind, do so. Listening to your gut feeling, assessing how comfortable you feel is not difficult. What is difficult, however, is remembering soon enough to listen to your heart. For the mind reasons with authority with no inclination of listening to anyone else. The loud drumming of common sense drowns out the whispering voice of the heart. The mind is always trying to substantiate and prove its position. Here you have a choice, yes or no. The soul tries timidly to object, no. The mind is aware of the soul saying no, but pretends it does not hear, putting forward persuasive arguments based on sound judgment to support its own yes. Having read these lines, store them away in a separate file in your memory, and the next time you make a decision, pull out the file. You will see that the process is just as I have described. I would suggest keeping in mind this simple, reliable exercise as a way of recognizing your inner no. If you have to convince yourself and talk yourself into saying yes, then your soul is really saying no. When your soul says yes, you do not have to talk yourself around. We will return to this later. Pay attention to the signs the world is giving you without going over the top and looking for signs everywhere. It can get a little absurd if you say, look, the birds are flying high in the sky today. I wonder what that means. Maybe it just means that birds are not afraid of heights and so are able to fly at high altitudes. It is sufficient to be aware of what you notice and keep in mind that something you have seen might be a guiding sign. As soon as you forget to be vigilant, pendulums will latch onto you and you could become the victim of circumstance. It is also worth meticulously checking out desires and actions that could dramatically change the course of your destiny. If you get a negative gut feeling about something you are thinking of doing, if it is at all possible, do not do it. Because the negative feeling you are experiencing indicates that the original desire came from the mind, not the heart. Desires and actions that come from the mind are always imposed by pendulums. If you ignore a negative gut feeling, in the majority of cases, nothing awful will happen but sometimes you may regret deeply doing so. Therefore, whenever possible, it is better to forgo desires and actions that evoke feelings of guilt, doubt, or apprehension. If you can get in the habit of doing this, it will greatly simplify your life and free you from all sorts of problems. There is just one but. If a series of misplaced steps have got you all tied up in a knot, it might not be enough simply to rethink certain desires and actions because sometimes a person is called to do something which causes them discomfort, like not telling the truth or going to work when you hate your job. However, once a knot has been untied and you are free from a more complex situation, you can confidently try out the principle of forgoing desires or actions that evoke a feeling of inner discomfort. This is all that can be said about guiding signs within the context of the transurfing model. Ultimately, you can interpret the signs that are personal to you. There is no need to teach you how to interpret signs. You will instinctively understand their meaning if you are observant of yourself and the world around you. Be wary of attributing excess importance to signs that are not sufficiently clear or that would introduce negative interpretations into your personal life script. You will not get caught up on a sandbank or fly off down the rapids if you avoid creating excess potential. After all is said and done, we can survive quite well without signs if we have to. It is not given to us to understand their meaning fully. The only sign particularly worth focusing on when you are making a decision is your gut feeling and intuition. It really is worth listening to the rustle of the morning stars. Letting Go The existence of streams and the alternatives flow can potentially free the mind of two overwhelming burdens— the need to solve problems rationally, and the need to control. That is, if the mind will allow itself to be freed, the mind will require a more or less rational explanation to be comfortable enough to let go. As you may have noticed, quite a lot of what is described in this book is irrational, which is why, although it is not the purpose of Transurfing to offer a description of the structure of the universe, I try to validate the conclusions I have drawn that would otherwise be difficult for the mind to accept. Providing an explanation the mind can accept is actually essential because the mind will not take anything on faith, and it is extremely difficult to shake the monolith of common sense. The mind demands proof and circumstantiation, which you can provide yourself if you try putting the principles of transurfing into practice. I offer a couple of feasible explanations here to soothe the incredulous mind, for if I did not, the reader would be unlikely to try out the transurfing principles or read any further. And this is just the beginning. Many exciting revelations lie ahead. The burdens of the mind are placed on us in childhood. As children, we are constantly being reprimanded. Think with your head. Do you realize what you're doing? Explain yourself. Do your homework. You won't get anywhere in life without a brain. Don't be so stupid. Will you ever learn? Teachers and circumstances sculpt a soldier from our minds ready at any moment to produce an explanation, give an answer to a question, assess the situation, make a decision, and control those around us. The mind is trained to act in a particular manner based on common sense. I am not presumptuous enough to advocate getting rid of common sense altogether. Quite the opposite. Common sense provides us with a minimal set of rules on how to behave in life in order to survive. The mistake of the mind is that it follows the behavioral code too literally. An obsession with common sense prevents the mind from opening up looking around and noticing all the things that do not fit the rules. There are many things in the world that are inconsistent with common sense. The rational mind is incapable of explaining all the phenomena we witness in the world. Neither is it very good at protecting a person from experiencing problems and disappointment. However, relying on the streams and the alternatives flow can compensate for the limitations of the mind. The justification for doing so is very simple. There is purposefulness to the streams and the alternatives flow, and this is a quality the mind seeks. As we have said before, the streams take the route of least resistance. The mind strives to reason sensibly and logically, relying on the principles of cause and effect, but the imperfections of the mind prevent it from navigating correctly in the external world and finding one prime solution to any given problem. Nature is in essence perfect, and so the streams of the alternatives flow have more purposefulness and logic than the wisest reasoning mind. However convinced the mind is that it reasons clearly, it will still be prone to making mistakes. The mind would make fewer mistakes if it did not try so hard to get involved and allowed problems to resolve themselves. When you let go of the situation and relax your controlling grip, you allow the world around you more freedom and the flow can take its own course. You already know that it is futile and even dangerous to try to pressure the world And yet, when the mind loses a sense of harmonious flow, it creates excess potential, which in turn creates obstacles. Transurfing demonstrates a different way of being. Firstly, if you reduce the importance you attribute to an obstacle, it will fade of its own accord. Secondly, if the obstacle does not respond to your efforts to overcome it, move around it, and guiding signs will appear to assist you. The problem with the mind is that it tends to interpret any event that fails to fit its script as an obstacle. The mind likes to plan everything beforehand, make calculations, and when something unexpected happens, it fights against it, trying to make it fit the script. Unfortunately, this only makes the situation worse. Obviously, the mind is not capable of planning events ideally. This is where more freedom should be given to the flow. The flow has no interest in ruining your life as such an action would lack purposefulness. Lives can, however, be ruined by ill-designed actions. The mind would have it that purposefulness is what happens when everything is going according to the script, and unwanted problems are what happens when something does not go along with the script. Problems have to be solved, and so the mind sets about doing so with great gusto, generating new problems and cluttering the path with endless obstacles. Think about it. When are people happy, fulfilled, and pleased with themselves, if not when everything is going according to plan? Self-importance prevents the mind from allowing any possibility of deviation from the original script, which is automatically interpreted as a failure. The mind thinks, but I planned it all and worked it all out beforehand. I know what is right for me and what is not. I'm rational. Life often delivers people gifts which they accept reluctantly because they were not planned. I wanted a different toy. Life rarely gives us the toys we planned on getting, and so we walk around dissatisfied and sad. Imagine how joyful life would be if the mind could forgo some of its importance and accept the fact that deviations from the script also have their place. We can all regulate how happy we are. Most people set their minimum happiness bar far too high and so do not consider themselves happy. I'm not saying that you should always be satisfied with what you have in the spirit of the dubious slogan, if you want to be happy, just be happy. This is not what Transurfing is about. You can have the toy you want most, but we will return to that later. For now, we are concentrating on how to avoid disappointment and experience fewer problems. It is the mind's unwillingness to accept deviations from its script that prevents it from making use of ready solutions present in the alternative's flow. The mind's compulsive desire to control everything turns life into an endless battle with the flow. If only the mind could allow the flow to go its own course, rather than trying to force its will upon it. The mind's greatest error is that it strives to control the flow itself, rather than its own movement within the flow. This is one of the main causes of the majority of problems and disappointments that people face. The purposeful stream that takes the path of least resistance is incapable of generating problems and obstacles. These are created by the madness of the mind. Activate your inner witness and observe at least for one day How the mind tries to control the flow. Perhaps you are offered something, but you refuse it. Maybe someone tries to tell you something, but you fob them off. Somebody tells you their opinion, and you argue. Someone does something their own way, and you try to set them on the right path. You were offered a solution, but you protest it will not work. You expect one thing, but receive another, and express your dissatisfaction. Someone bothers you, and it makes you angry. Something contradicts your script, and you go for the jugular to force the flow in the right channel. Maybe things are different for you, but there is undoubtedly a grain of truth in these words. Now try releasing your grip and giving the flow more freedom. I'm not suggesting that you must agree with everyone and accept anything that is happening, but you could consider making a tactical adjustment. Move the center of gravity away from control towards observation. Do not be in a hurry to fob someone off, object, argue, prove yourself, get involved, manage, or criticize gives situations a chance to resolve themselves of their own accord without active involvement or resistance. If not dumbfounded, you will at least be surprised by the result, for something quite paradoxical will happen. By being willing to release control, you will acquire more control over a situation than you previously had. The objective observer always has the advantage over a direct participant. This is why I so often repeat the words, exercise detachment. In retrospect, you will see that the control you were exerting before was making you go against the flow. The suggestions other people were making did in fact make sense, and it was not worth arguing about. Your intervention was not actually necessary. What you thought were obstacles were actually nothing of the kind. When you let go, problems resolved themselves quite satisfactorily without your having to know how. The things that happen that do not fit with your plan turn out not to be so bad after all. Chance phrases can actually have quite powerful meanings. Your gut feeling and instincts are there to warn you. You do not waste the same amount of energy as you did before and find that you are quite happy. This is the sumptuous gift of flow I mentioned earlier. Of course, in addition to all that has been said above, we could not forget our old pendulum friends. When people go with the flow, it vexes the pendulums and so they try to provoke us at every step into beating our hands wildly on the water. Pendulums abhor streams in the flow for the simple reason that the stream moves in the direction of minimal energy expenditure. When a person goes with the flow of the stream, they do not put energy into battling against the current, creating excess potential and fodder for the pendulums. The only form of control worth your attention is control over the intensity of projected inner and outer importance. Remember that projected importance prevents the mind from letting go. In many cases, letting go of a situation is much more effective and productive than insisting on getting one's own way. Even from childhood, our striving for self-assertion generates the habit of trying to prove one's personal significance. From this stems the harmful tendency to prove that one is right, whatever the cost. This striving creates excess potential in a conflict of interests. People will go to great lengths to prove that they are right even when the verdict either way will not directly affect their interests. In some people, the feeling of inner importance is so exaggerated that they insist on their own way, even in matters of very little relevance. Self-importance can develop into a mania that produces a compulsive need to control everything. I'll prove I'm right, whatever it takes. It is a grave habit that makes life much more complicated, especially for the ones so intent on defending their truth. As long as you do not risk seriously compromising your interests, let go of the situation and let others exercise their right to beat their hands on the water. If you practice letting go consciously, the feeling of relief will be greater than when you succeed in proving your point. You will experience a sense of fulfillment knowing that you moved on. Instead of insisting on your own self-importance, you manage to act like a wise parent dealing with difficult children. Here is another example. Excessive commitment to work is just as detrimental as neglecting one's responsibilities. Imagine that you have just taken on a new, prestigious position that you have been dreaming of getting for a long while. You demand a lot of yourself because you want to prove your potential. There's nothing wrong with that in principle, but if you throw yourself into the job too zealously, you may find that you cannot take the pressure over time, particularly if the work tasks are very difficult. In any case, you will become less efficient and at worst you could end up earning yourself a nervous breakdown, deciding wrongly that you are incapable of handling the position. Another possible scenario is that you generate vigorous activity without observing the established order of things. You may see all sorts of things that could be improved on and initiate the necessary changes confident that you are behaving appropriately. However, if your innovations change the usual running of daily life for your colleagues, no good will come of it. This is the kind of scenario in which using your initiative can become a punishable crime. You entered an environment with a slow, peaceful, even flow, and with your actions, started wildly slapping the water with your hands, trying to swim faster. Does this mean that you should keep your mouth closed and your head down? That would be a little extreme. The question should be approached with a sober mind. You should only consider getting annoyed and telling someone off if they are bothering you directly, and then only if your criticism will change the situation for the better. Never criticize anything that happened in the past and cannot be changed. In everything else, go with the flow. Not in a literal sense by agreeing with everything and everybody, but by moving the center of gravity from control to observation. Observe more and do not be in a hurry to control things. There is no need to be concerned about getting the right balance. A healthy sense of moderation will come with practice. Summary, the mind interprets information using a set of established designations. The heart does not think or speak, it feels and knows. The mind is only capable of building a relatively new version of a house from old bricks. Fundamentally, new discoveries originate in unrealized sectors of the alternative's space. The heart serves as a medium between new information and the mind. The heart perceives unrealized information as knowledge beyond interpretation. A discovery is made when the mind is able to interpret information accessed by the heart. The mind is capable of perfectly assessing one's level of inner comfort. Learn to pay attention to your inner state. By forgoing the projection of importance, you are free to choose your own destiny. Freedom of choice means being free not to ask, demand, or fight for what you want, but simply to go and get it. The information structure is organized in chains of cause and effect. Chains of cause and effect generate the alternative's flow. Paths of least resistance are organized into separate streams. Streams in the Alternatives Flow contain the solutions to all our problems. Inner and outer importance jolts the mind out of the optimal stream. In the Alternatives Flow, it is not the streams but your mind that brings you to the edge of the waterfall. Everything works a lot more simply than you think. Yield to this simplicity. What works is not the omen itself, but your attitude to the omen. Guiding signs indicate a possible bend in the flow of alternatives. Lifelines differ from each other in quality. Signs put us on our guard because they appear during a shift to a different lifeline. Signs are characterized by their tendency to evoke the feeling that something is not right spontaneous phrases can be perceived as instructions the level of inner peace one feels represents a clear sign if you have to talk yourself into something it means that the heart is saying no if it is possible to change a decision that causes you to feel uncomfortable in your gut do so soften your grip on things and allow unforeseen events into the script Projected importance hinders the mind from accepting a deviation from the script. The mind strives to control the flow itself rather than its own manner of moving with the flow. Shift the center of gravity from control to observation. Having let go of attachment to control, you will find you have genuine control of a situation. If you move harmoniously with the flow of alternatives, the world will meet you halfway.